Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Say what? O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Let's have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamped and scored! Well, the left wing is back for yet another year. And although there wasn't much rugby over the Christmas break, we still have a great podcast for you tonight. Rory O'Connor will be joining us in just a little bit to look ahead to 2022, as well as look back over the Christmas period and some of the talking points. For now, Luke is here with me. Luke, how are you? Good, Will. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, too, as well. Uh, have a good Christmas. Uh, a little bit interrupted, but yeah, all was good. We had a little, our little uh, baby girl was the kind of first uh, grandchild on both sides of the family so she was introduced to everyone so that was very nice and pleasant um was able to offload a crying baby onto some willing bodies which was very good uh, <laughs> catch up catch up on some shut eyes so that was good will um we had a few few casualties on sorry that's actually probably the wrong way of phrasing this but casualties to the christmas dinner <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because of COVID, which is very disappointing. Obviously, we two out of the seven, uh, sorry, two out of my five siblings were, were not at the table, which is a bit disappointing. But other than that, everyone came through it uh, healthy and happy. And um, yeah, no, it was, it was a great little break. What about you? Any any news? Yeah, no, a, a good, good Christmas, you know, quiet Christmas. Uh, you know, you mentioned that some COVID casualties. I think everyone is being affected by, you know, m- most of all, some of the teams that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, you know, yeah. far less rugby than we than we ordinarily would have had over the Christmas break. Um, it's a funny time, isn't it? Like, you know, we're into a new year. Where uh, Every time you're into a new year, you're hoping things will be different. But it's been groundhog year the last couple of times. Uh, you know, w- you know, looking ahead to 2022, like, what are you, are you hoping we can get back to... You know, we were teased in November with the All Blacks game. It looked like we were we were back once and for all, but it, it's gone back again. Yeah, like it's going to be very challenging now with so little rugby being played by particularly Leinster, who obviously provide most of the players for the Irish team, uh, to kind of have any kind of continuity and hit the ground running. So that's a big challenge for them. They, you know, Andy Farrell will be really looking for them to play a few games in January. Um, because otherwise they're going to be, you know, their backs against the wall then straight away. And you're fighting to get players back in form quickly and they've got Wales first up, I think. So um, mm. that's a, that's a big challenge, you know? So 
Uh, you'd be a little bit worried on, on a number of fronts. Um, having had such a good November, like a really, really good November and l- so much positivity, um, you know, lots of people back in form, you know, the team looking like they're playing a game plan and believing in a game plan that I think really suits the personnel we have. So hopefully we don't lose that now with this you know, lack of games. Um, but uh, I wouldn't be overly optimistic at this point. And as you say, it very much is feel like it feels like a bit of a groundhog year, doesn't it? Like, I mean, look, we were in bed at 10 on, on uh, New Year's Eve. Look, it's always been a pretty anticlimactic kind of day anyway, generally speaking. I don't know about you, but um, it did very much feel like there was a bit of a tenor on, you know, heading into 2022, which as you kind of alluded to, um, oftentimes it's a very exciting period where you kind of got to go right, reset the goals, looking forward to lots of positive things in the new year particularly if you've come through a challenging period. So um, that wasn't really the case. And I'm sure that's the case for lots of the sports teams. Um, you know, I, I'd say lots of them were really down the dumps about this kind of little period. And, you know, um, we're going to discuss obviously Monster Connacht, but, you know, if you were Leinster, I mean, they, I don't think there were they three, nearly, nearly two or three weeks, I'd say, outside of uh, UCD, um, you know, probably training on their own, lots of the guys from what I hear. So that's really difficult, you know, and uh, they were kind of coming in Having not played brilliantly this year, but still a very strong team. I would have high hopes to be, you know, going far in uh, in both competitions. Um, they're very much on the back foot now, even though we think they might, they should qualify, but no easy task. Yeah, well, hopefully there's some, you know, brighter weeks to come. But I suppose for the moment, we're going to look back first. We're delighted to be joined by Rory O'Connor. Rory, how are you? Very well, thanks. How are you? Delighted to have you back. It's funny, we, we thought we'd hopefully have a couple more games to discuss in the first show back, but just the one, uh, Connick Munster. There's a few other things we might get to a little later, but we might kick off uh, there first and foremost since it's a bit of on-pitch action. Uh, a good few talking points to come out of the game. You know, Connick's still building very well under Andy Friend. More questions about the Munster attack. There was a couple of controversial refereeing decisions. You know, what, what's kind of the big takeaway for you or the big talking point that kind of has you interested a couple of days later? I mean, I still haven't quite got over how awful it was. Um, like, you know, I do see some people talking about it was an arm wrestle and it was, you know, it was a real, you know, proper interpro and stuff. I mean, what I thought was terrible. And I think it's 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 indicative of the problems the teams are having at the moment in terms of like cohesion and all that stuff. I mean, like the Munster were awful, but I think you have to give them some bit of leeway in terms of the fact that they, you know, some Mike Haley was on their call earlier. Like he hadn't played in 11 weeks. You know, so that's a long, that's longer than preseason. I think that's, that's, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty tough going. Um, and I just thought, yeah, I kind of built up to it because it was, we'd missed so much rugby and I hadn't had any over Christmas and it kind of, I didn't have to go. I wasn't working on it. So I wasn't down there, but I turned, tuned in. I thought it was, it, I found it tough going. I mean, it was, it was, there was obviously interesting elements to it. Um, Munster's awfulness is definitely the key thing that I took away from it. I didn't think Connacht were great either, but they just showed a little bit more ambition. They mauled very well. They had that great defensive set just before half time. Showed huge character. Refereeing wasn't great either, but the refs were probably rusty as well. Like it was pretty brutal, uh, brutal stuff, but it was better than nothing at the same time. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the kind of the spectacle because, like, yeah, I don't want to come across as someone who just like loves the Premiership and just hates watching anything else. But like, that was all the rugby that was on over Christmas, and some of the games that I, that I took in, like Queens Northampton and the big one in Twickenham, was really good. You know, Bristol Leicester was an absolute cracker. Went down to you know three minutes past uh, the, the clock for Leicester to win. So yeah, it, it does kind of uh, shine a light on some, some of the. If we didn't keep kicking the crap out of them, I'd probably buy that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like watching. 
Division One stuff, isn't it over there? Like they they can't like they're <laughs> like since Saris have gone, like like Leinster beat the crap out of Exeter last year. Like even after that start, I mean, barely got a sniff for the last sixty. Like I I just don't yeah, buy the like comparing the best Sorry, team in the league. On that one. Like Leinster are the best team in the league. Well, you've got people who they, they talk it up so well, mm. but it's bang average. Well, that's it though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, sorry, maybe I, I, not no, to watch. I, 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 maybe not to watch, but it's it's there. The teams aren't great in it. Yeah, well, like there's definitely a case of like you know they mightn't be good enough to beat Leinster to lose, but when they're like th- there's a good cohort of teams there that when they're playing against each other produce very compelling and competitive rugby. Like I like Leinster, you're holding them to Leinster standard, which I think is unfair. You know, like Leinster are the best team or one of the best teams in Europe. You know, whereas I I think the games they play, like I think they're all good teams there, but. Like you're grading on a curve of, of maybe the two best two or three are they as good as them? No, but I think they are good teams. I think the big but difference. I do take the point, like like Northampton Racing was a real embarrassment for for the Premiership. Like the commentators were struggling to spin that positively, which was very humorous <laughs> at the time. But like, oh, yeah, that but was they a... will try. They will <laughs> try. I think the big difference is is that like the difference between Leinster and Zebra is absolutely like it's a different yeah. sport. Whereas the difference point. between uh, you know. Harlequins and you know, say London Irish or Worcester at the bottom, like it's not as big. Like there's still blowouts, but it's it's just. Mm. I think the salary cap works in that way that the, it keeps them all tighter together. Um, you know, like Leinster don't have a salary cap, but Leinster have a bigger budget than pretty much anyone in the Premiership, but certainly officially anyway. So, um, you know that that's definitely a factor in it. But like I think the URC is like we can't tell if it's good or bad at the moment because it's absolutely been decimated. Like, you know, we've all these new South African teams. They can't play in the, in the thing. Like even the Irish teams can't play against each other within the country. It's just, it's true. No fault of the people who, I mean, it's, 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 it's just crazy at the moment. What's, what's been going on. So the best, we got to cling to this Derby in, in like, you know, the, the, the toughest pitch in the league and, and probably the <laughs> toughest it was on a windy night. So like, and, and two teams that have just, you know, being fairly disjointed, like the one team who would have been less affected probably won the game that we're talking. You know, the Connacht have had more of a run with their best players around, and that does definitely feed into it as well. Yeah, Luke, what did you make of the game? Like, anything stick out to you? You know, Road touched on a few of the points there. Like, what, what's your kind of what was your big thing from it? Um, I thought both teams are pretty poor. Yeah, I think uh, Connacht got away with it a bit as well. Uh, I don't know how they didn't get another yellow card uh, just before half time. I thought that was shocking refereeing. Um, really, really poor stuff. Really wimped out uh, on the home pitch. I thought there. Uh, I mean, like four. It was four penalties, and there probably was a few more in there too. Um, but kind of, you know, they had more endeavour. They tried to play more rugby, and I was glad to see them win off the back of that. I thought that that alone, like, um, you know. Well, it made me want to see them win the game. That doesn't that isn't always the case in rugby, but uh, I was kind of glad to see them come out on the right side of the result, given they 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 tried more. Um, Munster, I just don't know. I mean, I just feel like there was two young halfbacks. There. I thought they had lots of good opportunities at different times, um, and they were kind of throwing these mad skip passes. Like you know, that's that's backplay one hundred and one at the top level is like close to the line, unless it's an absolute you know gimme, and you can see massive daylight that's the only time you throw big skip passes that close to the line it's you're just teeing guys up for i mean even the the turnover before half time you know at the end of that set um you know there was there was loads of there was throwing these big long passes bundy aki was just lining them up and absolutely annihilating guys and there was a few kind of players doing the same thing but even for the intercept in the second half 
Um, like that was a really good opportunity as well off the back of a nice turnover from that silly short lineup by Connacht on their line. Like there was loads of things like that that I just thought, like if Munster just looked a little bit like they were they were tr- trying to play an expansive game that they're not comfortable playing yet and trying to do it at the wrong times. Um, so uh, look, they, they they look to me like they're they're in a tough spot. I feel like the management thing is you know hanging around in the background. I think that like Roundtree signing on is a really nice that, that, that was that settles the ship for me just a little bit because I just feel like they're in a in a bad place at the moment as Rudd's alluded to as well you know lots of players in and out of the squad lots of people haven't played in a long time few bad injuries now as well and um, so they really need to you know I suppose I don't know that I think they need to get a hold of things quickly there and figure out a way forward from, from this point, because um, I, I'm having kind of felt like they at the start of the season that they had a real chance to push on with the personnel. All of a sudden they look just a little bit light and a little bit young in some positions and out of sorts uh, coaches leaving. Uh, so I'm a little bit worried for their season at this point. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think they need a few senior guys back quickly uh, to, to, I just, I suppose, start steering them in the right direction and, and get the team back just a, a little bit calmer, you know? So, um, yeah, that was kind of my, 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 my thoughts after the game. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, look, Connacht are, are, you know, Andy Friend looks like he's doing a good job, but I thought they were poor too. Um, and, um, yeah, a lot to work on for both of them. Yeah, Rudan Munster, like, it, it's interesting, you know, before the cast game, you know, they had all the upheaval from South Africa and they went out and got that great win in Wasp and it looked like they'd set up really well then for the rest of the year and then since the dominoes has then since fallen with the Van Graan announcement and two very poor performances, albeit they won against cast, but they didn't really impress people and then to lose against Connacht and not play well again, you know, you know, the, the round three news today is, as, as Luke mentioned, a, a positive, um, but it's an interesting period because I'm, you know, when you look at their league position, their European standing, they're not in a bad place, but there does seem to be a sense with all this upheaval that they mightn't be able to get to where they want to go to. Well, it's, look, it's very difficult to judge anyone at the moment. And I think you do have to, like, I think we should like lay out the caveats at the start and then try and an- analyze from there. So I think everyone needs to realize we're trying to be fair to these players who haven't played for ages and teams who are disjointed. And like, the, you know, I think they're having lads drop out as close contacts for a day or two and then come back in. With, you know, like preparation is for all the teams is all over the shop. We haven't played, we haven't seen Leinster for a month, you know, like it's, it's all crazy at the moment. But I think when you, when you look at at Munster, their season on paper, as you say, very good. They've only lost two games. They're heading towards a home run at the at the European the Heineken Champions Cup. If things go ahead, they should get maximum points from the last two games. They should get a very good draw. You know, if things go as planned, they could be in Ireland right up to the final if they if they win their games. They have a few key injuries. You know, everyone does, but there's certain elements of the performance that you can't get away from. And it's the lack of ambition. You know, it's the, the rely, over-reliance on, on the box kick. It's Damien Dielende, a World Cup winner, um, ruining a breakout attack from inside his only 22 by kicking the ball away when he's got men outside when you're chasing the game. It's Ben Healy trying to drop goal from 65 metres for some reason in the sports ground. Like, I know he's got a big boot. He doesn't need to prove it. You know, like, and, and you know, you've they went, they, they went with the decision to sign Jason Jenkins and cut... Um, JJ Hannerhan from their budget, right? I know they're different positions, but they basically spent their money on, on, on Jason Jenkins. It hasn't played at all. They let JJ Hannerhan go to France. They're light on experience at 10. Now, they have very good young 10s, but Joey Carberry's injury has left them exposed in that area. And like Ben Healy, 
there's been good moments. The Scarlet's game was great, but that was against a really poor Scarlet's team. Him and Craig Casey on, on Saturday, neither of them played very well. And Casey still, to me, hasn't proven himself. He's got four caps for Ireland. He's 35 caps for Munster. Has he, you know, he looks very good sometimes, but he doesn't look good week on week. I think he's going to be overtaken in the Ireland stakes by Neil Do- uh, Nathan Doak, you know, in the not too distant future, because I think Nathan Doak has all of the control that maybe Craig Casey lacked. I could be wrong on that, but I'm not seeing enough from him to see that's Ireland's, you know, second or third choice scrum half. He was outplayed by Kieran Marmion, who I thought was excellent on Saturday. So there are, there's a game plan issue. There's a slight personnel issue. Although those, those players, you know, I think we know they're talented and probably can play their way into form. But it's not a like it's one game in in a long season. And if they beat Ulster on Saturday and then they bounce into to to cast away on a Friday night, which you know might not happen, we don't know at this stage. But then and then wasps at home and they get the points from those. They're in a great position and they they overcome their wobble, which is on the back of all that stuff. I just would like to see them you know try to play a bit more. The backline on paper for years now has been way better than they've given it credit for because they don't give them the ball in advantageous positions. And I don't understand why you have. Like, you know, you Chris Farrell, Dialande, and a back three that who can all play, and you just don't give them the ball, like good ball in attacking positions. You've no, um, you know, no invention in your back play. Like, I don't know what Stephen Larkin's been doing for the last couple of years. You know, we see it once every in a blue moon. We saw it in Wasps when no one was around. We saw some really lovely play in that game. We saw the Scarlets game. We haven't seen it since. So, sorry, long answer, but I find Munster to be a bit of a mystery. Like, I was really pumped for them after the, the Wasps game. I thought there was real excitement about them then. Thought some of the young guys were really good. Scott Buckley was brilliant that day. We haven't seen him since. You know, this this kid who comes out and throws every line out that's going. He looks, he's got, he's got the size for it. No no sign of him since. Daniel Akeke, like, making 50-yard bursts up the middle of the field. Where's he gone? Like, he's playing for, for Munster A against Ireland Development. Like, why, why not back these guys? Like, Hodnett gets a game, then he's disappeared. I know they're trying to manage the squad. I don't know. There's It's hard to get momentum at the moment, but Munster's just, they don't seem to be harnessing what they have to the, to the best of their ability. And, like they'll probably go beat Ulster this weekend. They'll probably play quite well. They'll have their their the main men back. They're back at home, and they just need to start backing it up and doing it consistently and playing with more ambition and unleashing the talent that they have in their backline. Yeah, I feel like the attack conversation certainly when we've had in the show, you know, multiple times after after big games over the last you know t- two three years. Luke, you mentioned one thing there. I'd like to get your opinion on Graham Roundtree. The news today, his two year extension, and you said you know you think it's a positive kind of steadying the ship, like. If a new head coach then gets appointed, is he not entitled to pick his own staff? Like, what if a new head coach comes in and he has a great forwards coach he thinks is the best forwards coach in Europe? You know, is it like I just find like it's in some ways I agree with you. I was like, oh, yeah, positive. And then I kind of thought about it and I was like, but is it kind of putting the cart before the horse? Should you be picking your head man and then saying, okay, we have a great guy in Graham Rountree, we think here, what do you think of him? Or, you know, what, what do you think about that? Uh, there's a bit of that, but look, I think I've, I've kind of worked with him. Um, albeit not directly, uh, <laughs> but he is a really good guy to have around your setup. Uh, mm. He's very experienced, um, very positive. He'd be really good with young lads. Um, I think any coach would love to have him on their staff. Now, the issue for him is whether he's going for that. There's talk of now him going for that head coaching spot, Will. So like that, that'd that be an interesting one to see if he can you know, make that leap to that, that kind of position. Um, my sense of him is that he probably could. I think he's the kind of guy you'd like to play for. Um, that was my feeling on him. Um, and I think you just want to have good people. Any coach you want to have good people there. Unless they have someone specific, you know, like a coaching ticket that seemed to come together. You know, the way there's a few of those people that they come in pairs or, 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 or three. Um, 
other than that, I think he'd be a great guy to have on, on your side. And um, yeah, that's why I think that's a positive will. Uh, and look, I think, you know, Munster, just to, just to tie off on that and to come in on some of Rudd's points there, because it's such an interesting talking point, because yes, on paper, they look like they've, they're in a good position and, and they are in a good position. But I'd worry about them now coming into this phase because I think it's kind of papering over the cracks a little bit. I just haven't seen, I would really tie in on that point that Rudd's was mentioning about um, Larkham. I just don't like, I, I've seen bits and pieces where there's kind of interplay amongst the Munster forwards. Connacht were well able to do it at times, actually a lot of times um, in the sports grounds in very difficult conditions. I just didn't see Munster do that at all in there. And they have good players there. Like they can play, they don't, you don't, you don't have to go completely expansive and go away from what your strengths are, but you still have to engage in that part of the pitch. There's a reason they don't get any really good ball to that good Munster backline. Is because they don't show any, you know, they don't take any chances in the tight exchanges amongst their forwards. And the interplay there is pretty much non-existent from what I can see, unless they're very much in a dominant position and in Tolman Park. Um, so I think that's a bit kind of a very concerning kind of part of it for me. And I think, look, I, I like a lot of Craig Casey. Look, the nine is so important. He's touching the ball the most. He's the guy who sets the tempo for the team, even more so than your 10, really. Um, he still hasn't figured out how to slow it down uh, just a, a fraction of times and buy the guy's position, like time to get into position. And then like he's always seems to be kind of playing at a frenetic pace. Now that's going to be his strength and his point of difference is that he can do that. He can get to the breakdown quickly. He's got a lovely zippy pass and he can, yes, open, like if there's good quick ball, he's the guy you want there because you can see how snappy the delivery is. But at this level, in difficult conditions, he ha- he needs to figure out a way of, kind of i suppose changing the tempo at, at times and that's really really important for a nine i think conor murray probably has gone too far the other way and and kind of slowed it down too much he's probably overthinking it in there there are times when you just want someone just to get the ball out to your 10 particularly when you're on top or when you know even if there's you know a reasonable opportunity a quick ball you probably like to give your 10 an opportunity but um that's a real you know an area where i'd like to see him improve and i think if he does that like monster there's huge potential in there and i'd agree with that like with, with um just one more point some of those young guys look like really good rugby players like i don't see how i mean i i was amazed i mean Haley was very but like some of the some of the high ball takes at the end like if he's not doing that i don't know what he brings to full back for you um you know, and I thought there was another. There was other areas where some of the Munster young lads who played against Wasps were very good. I mean, Okeke is a perfect example of that. He would have been brilliant in the um, in that kind of game on the weekend um, against uh, Connacht in the sports ground. Like sometimes you need, like even on the bench, like bring him on and let him kind of loose when you're kind of struggling a little bit or when you're trying to get over the line at the end of the you know at, at different points in the game. I just felt like they're they're missing a bit of an X factor here and there. And, and, and as well, in the key positions, a bit of a steady hand. It's, it's a bad mismatch for me. I feel like I just don't know what's happening with Munster when they're, when, when they're attacking. And I feel like they don't know either. And that's a bad place to be after, you know, a coaching ticket that's been in there for a very long period of time. I think the only time they've got real clarity is when they're in their own half and on the halfway line. And that's when they're box kicking a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit Pretty... of a... I feel like I'm doing a bit of a... Like they, they lost by two points in the sports ground. I feel like I'm going pretty hard on them, but I just, I'm a little bit concerned. And they're, they're, they're going to have an issue at second round now. It sounds like they've got a bit of an injury crisis. Like that's another key part of the team coming into a big part of the season. Joey Carberry out as well. I don't know. I, I just, I'm a little bit worried that this is going to drift into being actually a, a bigger problem than it is. 
um, over the next couple of weeks uh, if they don't kind of arrest the decline now. Yeah, we'll see how they get on against Ulster this weekend if that game goes ahead. Lastly, on Munster Road, because I know you were in on that Graeme Roundtree press conference uh, earlier today, you know, you know, in relation to the two-year deal, and I know he was asked about the head coaching position and he was, you know, coy, but also kind of saying that he would like to be a head coach one day. You know, what, what's your sense of that situation at the moment? Like, how close do you think he is to becoming the head coach? Or what's, yeah, your, what's what you read on? I think it's it's a it's a it's a runner. Um, someone said to me a while ago that Frangrang went that he, um, Roundtree will be next in line, and um, and the more you think about it, the more like because they wanted continuity. They offered everyone the two year deal to stay on. They wanted to keep continuity, you know, from this coaching ticket. And he is continuity because JP Ferrer it looks like is going to go. The the defense coach is going to go with Van Grand to Bath. Larkham's obviously leaving as well, so he represents that continuity. He knows all the players already. He can probably start getting all the transfer stuff done in the background or at least identify the kind of targets that they want to go or try and talk to Orgy Snyder about, about staying. I don't know about DLN, whether he'll be allowed to stay or whether he'll want to stay. I'm not sure that there certainly is a lot of talk that he's going to leave. But that stuff has to happen. So like, they need to kind of figure that out. Um, he's close to Andy Farrell. You know, he's worked with Andy Farrell in the past. That can't ha- that can't hinder his prospects when, he, when it comes to getting it across HQ. You know, like that that he's, he's got a direct line and a good relationship with Andy Farrell. You know, David Nussford is on his holidays in Australia at the moment. He usually takes a big big chunk of time off in the middle of the season. This is this is that time. So nothing's going to get done for a couple of weeks. But I think they wanted to get a bit of good news out. They have a tendency to do that, Munster. Like if, if something's gone wrong at the weekend, they try and get a bit of good news out there. Um, so they wanted to give some element that someone's staying. So I think getting a two-year deal out there. But the way it was written was very much... He's forwards coach, but he's staying. It wasn't that he's staying on as forwards coach. So I think that if the roles will be redefined, possibly in a new structure in time. The, the other names you keep on hearing are Prendergast, if they can get him out of his wrestling contract. Nolan McNamara, who's very highly rated Irish coach, who's over in the Sharks in South Africa at the moment. And Milton Haig is someone who, who, who keeps cropping up in, around the place. He's the former Georgia coach. He's a New Zealander. He worked with Roundtree. So maybe you could see them working together again. I don't know. Like none of them massive names, but if you know if you, you can see how they would arrive at Roundtree taking over with with a good group of kind of um coaches who like you know Prendergast and McNamara are very highly rated when it comes to attack. And um so like this, you know, you can kind of see how this might develop into that that way. I know we talked about kidney last time I was on. That seems to have gone a little bit cold. Um but we just don't know. It's still still very early and as long as News Four is in Australia it's going to be a while before things get done. So, um, but I do think it's a runner and I think it's an interesting one. And he spoke very, like he, he communicates very well, Graham Roundtree. I think Luke alluded to it earlier. You know, he's, he's very good front to house man. You know, he's a very good man to come out after defeat and own the defeat. I thought, but he didn't get the headlines today, but the way he talked about the Connacht game was far more impressive than the way Johan van Grand talked about the Connacht game and, and what went wrong for them. So I think that will be an asset to him as well. I think he, he'll resonate very well with the Munster supporters from the Leicester old school, that will also, I think he loves it down there. He's he's, he's very settled. His, his, his son, he was saying, is in school down there. I think he's playing his rugby as well. So a lot of things in his favour. And, he, he, you know, he's, he's committed. He's staying either way. And I understand that the, the problems that may arise if someone comes in and they don't get on. But very hard not to get on with Graham Roundtree, I think. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting debate. I know we've talked, as you said, a lot of options over the last few weeks. Every week we've come on, it feels like there's been another option to discuss. So we're so we'll just wait and see. To maybe move the conversation slightly, Luke, I think we were chatting before we came on air about the situation Leinster find themselves in, just looking at the calendar there. I think by the time the European games come around, if their game against Montpellier, the return fixture goes ahead, they'll have only played three matches in 11 weeks, which is 
unprecedented, basically, you know, in, in club rugby. Like, you know, what do you think that, that does for the squad? Obviously, it's not it's far from ideal, but then there'll be a Six Nations coming up shortly after that. It'll be another lengthy break. So they'll probably be looking at only having played maybe five games. There could be some rescheduled games in there as well. Like, it's a really weird situation for the squad to be in. Yeah, very difficult. Uh, I'd say they're panicking a little bit in there, I would imagine. Um, and probably with good cause. Like, I coming back from a preseason, I mean, I don't know many teams that look really good um, having not played any rugby. It takes a while. To, like, it's, it's one of those sports, just given the physical nature of it. I mean, yes, you can replicate it to a certain extent, but not that much in training. It's really difficult and really different in matches. I know myself coming back from lots of injuries it's very, very difficult to come back and, and um, you know, get, get back into the swing of things, get your rhythm, you know, the, the right habits that you develop from playing matches. Getting all those things back in place quickly is really, really difficult. So, yeah, I'd say they're under a bit of pressure now. Um, you know, on that Montpellier thing, like it looks like, you know, lots of people seem to think that, you know, all the cases uh, that kind of, I suppose, um, reared their head, um after the game was cancelled, kind of seems to justify the decision. Um, well, I would say it probably doesn't. I would say it looks like everyone's got cases. Um, Montpellier had some cases. I'm not going to cover the all-ground again, but um, I still don't think they're going to uh, change that decision, which is pretty disappointing considering that they changed other fixtures given that travel ban between France and UK. So that puts them on the back foot a little bit, you know, um, and you kind of uh, combine that with the, the, the challenges about not playing any rugby and all of a sudden Leinster looked to me like, from being a shoe in uh, to maybe being under a little bit of pressure and their season looking like it's kind of collapsing in on itself. It's very difficult for them. Uh, very upsetting for lots of people there who work very hard. Uh, COVID's just, you know, that's still, you know, ravaging through everything. Um, you know, as I'm sure you guys, I don't know if you're, you're my Christmas was impacted by it in, in, in my family. So, uh, and, and I, you know, it seems to be like everyone I knew. So Leinster aren't immune to that. So very disappointing for them. And yeah, Will, I, I, I wonder are they pan- are they are they panicking a bit, a bit in there now? I'd say they are. I like I don't know what what do you think about Rhodes? I mean, have you have you spoken to any any press conferences or anything like that? I haven't spoken to I've spoken offline to a few people, but about different issues. To be honest with you, I think they're just happy to be back in. You know, like it's, it's it seemed like such a mad couple of weeks for them, and they had no control. I think what happened was they just lost control of it, and it it, it was that's why they weren't allowed to travel. You know that there was. Objectively, they, they they couldn't they they couldn't prove that they had control and that the people who were traveling, even though that they tested negative, that it hadn't spread to them. So, again, not to go over the old ground, but the the um, I think like the, they didn't play particularly well against Bath, even though they absolutely ripped them to shreds. It was kind of a weird performance. The Connacht game the week before, they they hammered Connacht, but again, Connacht played better than them for the first half an hour, and then Ulster beat them the week before, so they. They weren't even in great form before this all happened. So there's kind of like they're still they're top of the URC. I had a little look earlier, like because I got you know because you know who knows who's top who's played how many games, but they're still top of the URC. They still have Bath in their in their pool. So if those games go ahead, and if Montpellier in Dublin, you'd expect you know expect them to get the points that they need to get out of the pool. They basically got the Ireland team to pick from, and you'd imagine I think Johnny Sexton should be back at this stage because you know he was due back before Christmas, so. Um, that will obviously give them a bit of bit of help, but it's just getting these games on. I mean, I, I really think the URC should have moved the Connacht game to this Saturday. Um, that's fixed for fixed for March, but neither of them are playing this weekend. And certainly from an Ireland point of view, from Andy Farrell's point of view, like he, I, I'm sure he was beating on the door to try and get Leinster a game this week because these lads need to play rugby. And, and you know, who knows what situation we'll be in in March? There's loads of back games to, to fill. Why not avail of a, like no one should have a free weekend when when they're COVID free at the moment. 
So I, you know, I would I be. I saw that piece, Rod, and I thought like it was interesting, but like, it, it's I don't. Is it that easy to move a game? You know, like this. So then they they would have they won't be having playing a game that weekend either. Like you know, is it, I I have you agree with you. Would it be that tricky to put it on? Well, like that, I don't yeah. know. Like it's, and that game's the I week after the station finishes, so it's not like they're going to be a yeah. full strength then. You know, it's or maybe it's two weeks yeah. after. Maybe they'll need a game that time. I just think I think I think you got to be really light in your feet in this environment. You need to be really flexible as a competition. Because you never know when you might need a free weekend. So, like, you, you know, there's all these South African games to fit in. Who knows how it's going to go? But I really, like, even if it's a friendly, I think Leinster should be playing a game this weekend because they haven't played for so long. And they are systematically or systemically important to Irish rugby at the moment because, you know, tw- what was it, 12 players playing against New Zealand in the, in the starting lineup? Like, like Concentration it, it's a real problem for Ireland Six Nations <laughs> campaign that, that so many Leinster players have not played for, for this long. And if the, if they, like, we're expecting a bit of you know a bit of clarity on the European stuff later in the week. They've said they're working hard to get those games on, but if they're if if, if Europe is canned again like it was last year, rounds three and four, I know they can probably play the Munster game, maybe play the Ulster game as well. Maybe that, that's how you get it done. But like Leinster need to play games for themselves, but also for the Ireland team because you know, Johnny Sexton hasn't played since the All Blacks game. Hmm. That's a problem. Like. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah I like, and, and he's actually probably the least of your problems because he's yeah. used to coming back in. Yeah, he's got all the, he has the habits. He doesn't have to relearn much when he comes back. He just has to be physically fit enough, and yeah, but, the training is pretty good now. But like, I agree with you. Like, I there's lots of younger guys there who like they need to be playing all the time. Like, you need you're still learning the game. Like, you have to relearn all these things when you haven't played for ten. It's like another preseason. You know what I mean, yeah. um. And that's no good. Like that's good for Johnny Sexton and guy and older guys, but that's not good for young guys. Yeah, and it's such a. I mean, it, it, there's less games this year in the URC. There's no secondary competition. There's a few, the odd A game. You've loads of lads that are kicking their heels. Maybe playing a bit of AIL. You know, Jack Dunn is a guy of huge potential in there. I don't think he's played this season. Like I think he's played for Trinity. He was supposed to play for Barbarians. Didn't didn't work out for him, and then that, sure, that game didn't go ahead anyway. You know, like he's a guy who could make a real impact for Leinster. He's got the size, but like he hasn't got an opportunity. Like coming out of November, who, what were we talking about? Like, you know, when is Harry Byrne going to get games? Like, yeah, there's been no games for Harry Byrne to play. Like, he's coming into the, the, the Six Nations with with no, uh, with you know, not having kicked on for, through through. Well, I don't know. Like, you know, because there's been no games, it's just it's really messy, and it's um, it's not like well, like the, there's obviously the you know, COVID got into the environment. They've paid the price in terms of that Europe, those European points. But ultimately, like it's really going to cost them in, in the end if this whole period gets wiped out. We don't know what the competitions are going to be affected. There's a lot of uncertainty at the moment. The players need to be playing. This should, this should be the busiest, the meat of the season. And it's really been weird at, in, in the last while. And it could have knock-on effects to all their seasons. Yeah, Rudin, just like I'm trying to remember, when is the Six Nations squad usually named? Like, like you know, third week of Jan, is it? Is I think it, it'll yeah, be after of... round four of Europe. So okay, there's, so two, there's a round two of... in Europe. It may even be between three and four, but there's um there's a round of URC fixtures which usually the Irish players wouldn't play in because they'd be pulled to be in camp that weekend. Um so they would go into camp after round four of Europe. So really like we would need it like I think last year they played that Leinster Munster game as almost the fi- final decider, the deciding trial, and then picked the squad on the Monday. I I think that's the way it happened. Um, and they probably have loads of things they have to, especially with Omicron, like they probably have to get them in isolation for a couple of days before to bring them into camp and all sorts of different things that we haven't even considered yet for this. So he's making decisions based on November form and the odd Interpro in between, unless you're a Connacht player who's played pretty much every week since. So like, hopefully Jack Cardi's mouth's okay, but like he's 
you know, he's probably been, I know he wasn't great at the weekend, but he's probably been the big winner because he's just been playing Ruby week on week and he's been, you know, winning games and, and you know, bouncing, like he's bouncing into this this window with a bit of form, whereas everyone else is scratching around looking for a game. Yeah, well, all jokes aside, like given how many players have had COVID the last, you know, month, six weeks, hopefully that gives them some sort of like, you know, immunity that like, you know, they, that doesn't mean they can get it again right now. And then they'll be out for another three or four weeks. I don't know exactly what the protocols they have to adhere to are, but um, you know, that could, that could actually play in Ireland's favor, potentially come six nations time. But look, it will be interesting to see if, does he just go with the squad Andy Farrell that he had in November, given so few guys have played a lot of rugby since, or does he reward the few guys who have been able to play, you know, the occasional game? Yeah, like, the only one that really stands out to me, really, I, sorry to answer it, I think you'd probably have to stick with the same people just based on um, the lack of games. And I don't think anyone has really barred Jack Carty and obviously Joey Carberry being injured. That's the only real obvious uh, swap that you'd make at this point, unless there's injuries um, in, in different positions. So, yeah, look, it's, it's a, it nearly picks itself for him, even though no one's played, which is kind of weird. Um you know, there could be a couple of guys in Ulster maybe that uh, that that play themselves in uh, off the back of some good form. Hume is obviously the standout there, but like the centres all look pretty good to me um, and we're pretty solid in there. I mean, Bundy Key was excellent on the weekend too. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's a it's a funny one. Like it seems like it'd be a good talking point, but really when I think of when I, when I thought about it, I was like, well, like who would you pick at this point and who's played? I mean, I, no one else stands out. Um you know, I think I, I still think you know Finney Beelham's actually looked pretty good as well. Um, he, obviously not in haircut wise, but certainly his playing on the pitch has been pretty good. Um, but like he's not going to get ahead of Ty Furlong. He's the only one that other one that probably stands out a little bit. Um, uh, that I've watched over the last couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, like, like, it's a tricky one. Does Marmion come back in? Maybe I don't know. Like Marmion's in great form. Like I, I think he's looking really good. Cooney's playing great rugby. Signed a new deal. He's staying in Ireland. He's out. You know, like, he's out. He, like, he, I know he's out, but like, you still have to make we can't just take it that he, like, we, you know, we, we have to be like, just because Andy oh, Farrell doesn't like we, him, doesn't we know mean there's a fractious relationship there. Like, that, that's, I think, I think, uh, you know, the, the word is that he's pretty much ruled himself out, is it? Like, that's like, he's, he's the, the relationship is just not there with Andy Farrell. I think he just, yeah, like, I was well, suggesting from the, the interview yeah. Will did with him during the summer is the relationship's not there with Johnny Sexton. Like, that was that was what I took from that. That, that really like, was it okay? Well, I, yeah, the the, I, mean, I, quite I mean, look, from on form, if you're just picking an Ireland squad based on the best players playing in Ireland at the moment, he must be in consideration. He's playing really, really good stuff and he's he's looking really sharp and he's and like you know, he's, he's still kicking his goals as well. The one who, who I think is like it's it's the it's very hard to get into the squad in this position because there's so many really good players across the board. Keen Prendergast, very good player, Dan Connacht. Mm. He's been really good, has great size to him. He's, he's young. I think, you know, maybe he's one of those kind of apprentice players to bring in for a couple of weeks just to get an experience of it. But I th- I've been really impressed with him over the last couple of weeks. Not not to come in and start games. Like, you know, the back row is pretty settled at the moment. But um, he's someone I think you could take a, a step in the next while because I think he's got a lot of the attributes Andy Farrell's looking looking at. But yeah, Marmion's a, a good shout as well. It's, yeah, he doesn't have... I think Marmion's been in. He's been in the... Camp, I think he, he won one cap against Georgia in the Andy Farrell raid, I think. Mm. Um, which is mad considering he started against England and in wins over England and the All Blacks during the previous regime, and he's still very young. The age thing is well, it's like I know he's, but he is still beyond the others. Like if you're looking at say, there may be Six Nations not the time for this one, but like Conor Murray obviously resigning for the for for the two years. I mean that's the the writings on the wall in in that respect, and that's an international contract. You know what I mean? So 
you know, you're probably playing, you might be playing second fiddle. Obviously, you've got James Gibson Park, but like we haven't seen him now. Um, but I suppose he's the incumbent. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, that that last slot, do you go with the young guy? Like my sense is that he'll go with the with the with the Casey or with the that's what yeah, that's someone. that's what he's done, hasn't it? Because he's got that's what he's done with Harry so. Byrne as well. And I, I get that, I, I, I understand that. But just to come in, like, what do you guys make of the that that Conor Marie national contract? You know, James Gibson Park was a starter during November. He plays an up tempo style, which is the way Ireland were playing. That would appear to mesh very well. Conor Murray maybe doesn't mesh as well as he did in the past. You know, what, what were you surprised that he got the national contract, Rod? No, because of the way this whole system works, it's almost like a lifetime yeah. achievement award in some ways. You know, you kind of. <laughs> It's not ba- like you almost. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't come up with a better model, right? So I, I don't know what the better model is. And obviously, Conor Murray is going to attract interest from from elsewhere. And you, you want to keep a player of that status and, and quality and in the country. And I I don't. I'm not one of these people who writes him off completely, but I definitely think he's come way back towards the pack. Like the gap between in 2016, the gap between Conor Murray and the rest was enormous. But it's not anymore. Like he's not even the start. Like he wasn't the starting scrum half in. November and like James, I don't know when Jameson Gibson Park's contract's up next, but like you know, if 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 this thing was more fluid and flexible, and you can't, there's no way you can do this with contracts. But like he is currently the best, you know, best international scrum half that Ireland have, and the way Ireland want to play with that tempo, he 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 deserves to start against Wales on February fifth. I, I think it sends out a really bad message. Like you've got all these young scrum halves, you've got a, a, another tranche of you know, kind of 26, 27, 28 rolls like McGrath. Like uh, like Cooney's a little bit older than that. Like like Kieran Marmion, Caelan Blade, all really good, really competitive players. So why is this one guy, given the who's not that much better than them, but has a lot more caps than them, given the golden the golden ticket for another two years when he's like you know when the gap is not that big? I don't know. I haven't as I said, I haven't come up with a better model than centre contracting um, one. But I do think in in the, in the case of Murray, in the case of Earls, in the case of Keane Healy. You know, I don't think those players at the stage of the career they're at, I think they should be graduated back onto provincial contracts or maybe half and half deals where they get incentivized to play for Ireland. You know, maybe the deal is, is done this way anyway, but it's just called a central contract. But you get extra bonuses for playing for Ireland. I just don't know if, like Andrew Porter is a perfect central contract guy. He's at the right age of his career. He would command a massive salary in France or England. Furlong the same. You know, I can understand Sexton even because he's the captain. I just wonder about a player coming off the edge of the top of his career. Like, you know, Healy, you've got three or four bench players now who are on central contracts. Don't really understand why in under this model you you would you would do that, you know. But I have as I say, I haven't come up with a better one. But yeah, shouldn't just be guys at that stage of their career who are on those those central contracts. At the same time, Andy Farrell hasn't been afraid to not pick central contract guys, whereas under Joe Schmidt, he always picked the central contract guys pretty much. So, um, you know, it shouldn't be a guarantee. You know, on that now, I remember getting offered a better contract, like a more lucrative one from Leinster. Yeah. Because yeah. I was gone. Like, I was like, I'm not, I got a better offer abroad. I was like, like, I'm not doing that. Then Leinster came up with more money. Like, well, there's also, that, you know I mean, that, so it might not, it might not actually be the be all end all. Maybe that's no, why, because I, I agree. Because, like, surely you, you're, you're holding on to your central contracts because they are more lucrative generally. But for the top I, players, it might be pretty close, depending on how much of a need there is for you in 
each province. Do you know like in a way? So yeah, really and the, the other thing, on. the other thing it does is it, it relieves the pressure on the provincial budget. So you take Conor Murray, you're basically taking Conor Murray out of Munster's yeah, salary, exactly. Sorry, and, yeah. and you're helping Munster. So same with with Keith Earls, it allows them to maybe I know I know Zebo's power funded by the RFU as well, but it allows them to go and sign their players. So there's other things at play as well that once you start digging into it you know it's part of it is trying to help Munster and Ulster keep pace with, with Leinster because Leinster have loads of central contracted players which leaves them able to pay squad players like say Rich Ruddock and these guys more money so they're very competitively paid by Leinster even though they're not in the Ireland setup which allows Leinster to be so strong so I think there's a part of that as well but if you're looking at it like as this is your golden circle, which it has been in a lot of times, I think it's it's dangerous. And one of my big, my big, like it wasn't in the World Cup review, it wasn't in David Nussfors, you know, un, unpublished review. But the uh, like the big thing I thought for the last World Cup was that you, same as 07, you, you had a golden circle of players who were just untouchable in there. And they were like all best mates and they all gone holidays together and they just, they ran the team. And like, you know, that can't be, they can't, it can't be a cozy cartel of senior players and such a contract. It has to be competitive and it has to be ruthless. Uh, you know, you're on front tonight, Rod. Cozy cartel of senior players on holidays running the team. Don't worry, you weren't the only one who's, who thought that. Jesus, yeah, no, the golden circle, the undroppables. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that was like, that was the problem in 07. And it was still, I, I think Farrell has, even though he's really in with senior players, I think they're less, they're, they're less safe than they were in the previous regime. And that's only healthy. Mm. Yeah, well, he has made some changes, but like even in November, he did keep the same cohort over the course of three games, albeit they were playing really well and, and winning, you know, quite handsomely. I think coming up with a new system for central contracts, that'd sound like a Saturday feature for you, if I've ever heard one. So I think you might stick, I stick your hand up there. If you're yeah, really well, maybe I need a bit more thought. I, I, like, this is the thing you criticize something, but you got to come up with a better, a better way of doing it. And I'm, I'm not able to do it at the moment. But then again, I'm not, I wasn't in the running for the RFU CEO's job for some reason. <laughs> yeah, we, we might finish up on that road because that was another thing that happened just kind of over the Christmas period. Uh, Philip Brown leaving, Kevin Potts coming in, an IRFU, uh, you know, employee uh, already who had been there since 2005 in various different roles, working his way up. You know, what, what did you make of the decision? Do you think is there anything to be said for maybe having gone outside and bringing in a new voice? Or I think when I was reading your uh, kind of analysis, you thought stability was a good thing. But is there anything to be said for getting that fresh perspective from a different person? I like the yeah, the definitely is. It, it, I mean, we don't know what like they did. You know, it was classic one of these like we're we're searching the world for for the best person and we're employing this great you know London PR you know uh, HR agency or, or recruitment agency. We're going to go find someone and they've ended up with the guy in the room next door. But you know, like I do understand, that particularly during the pandemic, um, going with a guy who really knows the business. You know, and and I do think. What Kevin Potts has, and I don't know Kevin Potts. I've only interviewed him once or twice around the World Cup, and that was a, a bit of a black mark on his CV. He ran the World Cup bid, um, and that didn't go well. But um, you know, that I do think the fact the shaft there, there was some dodgy goings on there. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think he was in charge of the political side of things either. So I think like he gets a, a bit of a pass from that. that was more gets... lost the committee level than it was at the corporate <laughs> level. But like, I think the fact that he's a former player should stand to him in, in the game as well. Like Philip Brown, probably the one gap that he had in this whole thing was that he didn't really, you know, have a rugby knowledge or, you know, he, 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 you know, he did a lot of things very well, Philip Brown and running the show, but he, you know, he wasn't a rugby person. And I think the fact that Potts played for Leinster and, and played, you know, played for Mary's in the AL, you would hope that he maybe can forge more of a connection with the club game and, and, and everything he does and have more of a connection in that. But I do think having someone who's been alongside Philip Brown in the last couple of years, managing through COVID, managing through the move, it's like he was in charge, like he was quite heavily involved in the oversight of the CVC deal, you know, the, the kind of nitty gritty of, of all of that. Like that stuff is really what the CEO is going to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis. 
like if if we're like currently five thousand of games, if that's the case for the Six Nations, well, it's going to be a rough year for the RFU and the financial stakes, and you're going to need someone who knows the knows the business to kind of run it. So it's very difficult for someone to come in from the outside with, with loads of loads of great ideas and go, come in in the middle of a pandemic. So I understand why they went with him. Um, as I said, I don't know him very well. I've I, I've heard you know fairly good things about him as as a as a as a guy as a uh, to deal with and, and things like that. Um. And he's got a big job ahead of him. It's a big, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's, there's a lot to it. I mean, when Philip Brown took it over to where it is now, it's a much bigger job. It's a much bigger organization and it's got its challenges. But, um, you know, at the same time that, 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 that when there's no, when, when crowds are coming to the stadium, the revenue streams are good. You know, it's a very functioning or, you know, financially organization. They've got a lot of money in the bank and they're, they're doing quite well. So but there are things they could do better. Yeah. I mean, job yeah, one is definitely the women's game. Yeah, got to get on top of that. Like that's a real, um, you know, that that's a really bad look. I think that that's yeah. going so badly, and that you're getting going to government ministers involved in this. You know, um, even if that was just kind of a bit of grandstanding stuff, like even to have that conversation is is not good, and to, for it to be in the public sphere and to have like big part of our rugby communities that is satisfied with you know the basic kind of even basic amenities being you know provided to them i mean like that, that he has to get on top of that straight away that should be nearly i nearly say that's priority one yeah. maybe maybe priority two after survival because i think yeah. we're going to come into a really difficult period now um as you mentioned i mean the revenues are going to they're just going to have to take a hit uh at so you know if we can't get you know full houses there in uh on lansdowne road at the aviva we're we're I don't know. I, I, you'd worry a bit, wouldn't you? I mean, one year of that is probably okay, but when you start getting into two and th- you know, if it's two or three, like it's yeah. curtains, isn't it? Like we're all so we're all going to be paying for our taxes. It's the only way it survives. Then you know. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think you're right about the women's game, and I think it's not an easy fix because I think it will require a lot of hard work. But I don't think it's going to cost them a lot of money. I think it's about rolling up your sleeves, engaging with the with the people who are involved, and not just putting someone in charge and telling them what to do actually listening and engaging with the, the the 62 women who wrote that letter with the with with the clubs building a proper structure from it and it could be a huge win because if he comes out of that in a year or two and that has all gone quiet and the national team starting to perform and you've got a functioning league that's going to like that's a real like that's a real that's a feather not, in the cap 100% it's an absolute 100%. feather in the cap and it it, it just i mean it's do you know what Rhodes as well he's got to pick someone i think he's got to pick someone he's got to pick a woman um an irish woman to do that job um for and to look after it like he's got to it, there's got to be some ownership from them and involvement from them at, yeah. at, at a level that's not just senior player they, it has to go above that now to, in my mind i don't know we, we've talked about it i know a couple of weeks ago but that's that's something that they've got to get fixed really quickly like you know there's so many sports that irish women outperform men and um you know to not even be providing them with the opportunity to you know, to, to do that is, is wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, and the, and it's, it's part of the same conversation, but the clubs thing, I think is huge as well, because the clubs are where the players come from. Ultimately, you know, they, you know, even though you might go to school, you start off in a club and, you know, trying to maintain a connection to the, to the clubs, to the union, to the provinces. And, and it, again, that's not an easy thing to do, but it's, you know, it's probably not going to cost an awful lot of money, but it's, it's, it's about real engagement and it's, it's, it's tough, but you hope the fact that he comes from a rugby background, that he played club rugby, that he played provincial rugby, that he knows the structures and how it works would, would stand to him in that regard. You know, th- these are all things that if, if he leaves, like he's, he's, I think he's in mid fifties, you know, he's probably not gonna be there as long as Philip Brown, because, you know, if he goes at the same age as Philip Brown, 
but there, there are things that if he leaves, he'll he, he'll have left a good legacy while also trying to keep the show on the road. Opportunity to do that though, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, like there's like less games. I think really gives them an opportunity to bring them on the pitch now, yeah. as as a proper part of the package in developing players. I think. Yeah, I mean, am I is that the is that what you're hearing as well, Rhodes? In there or no? They're definitely the the, the 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 across the board. You're you're hearing that the players from a player point of view, like they're getting more access to the to the the AL clubs are getting more access to the to the pro players. And Roundtree, funny enough, was talking about it today about how the, you know that's one of the things he's proudest of at the moment. So that's definitely happening. But I think it's it's it, it's it's deeper than that. It's kind of like it, it, that's that's a real good start. But it's it's making them front and center of Irish rugby again. Which is hard to do with the provinces being so successful, but it's trying to find ways to do that. Um, and I, again, this is kind of flowery, and it's up to him to find a way of doing it and make the clubs feel loved again. Because if you go into club land, there's a lot of very disenfranchised people, and that's that's not a good place to be either. So, um, another thing that like that should be high up. I mean, I think survival. You're right, is the the key thing, and I think that's why it's probably a good appointment. But also, the, those things, um, you know, and also just modernizing the order, like the committee structures and all that sort of stuff. So once you start digging in there, it's very archaic. You know, I think there's there's a bit of modernization to be done, but it's hard to do because there's a lot of resistance, and a lot of power one. in those. That's those the rooms. toughest job of the lot, Rhodes. Yeah, <laughs> he's coming from that. Surely he sat on those for years, no? Well, he's been in the professional side of things, but you don't get to the top without playing the game in there. But like, oh. you know, I mean, a lot of you know, getting new Sephora in for all that I criticize him, but that was a really positive step in 2014, getting a performance director in and taking like it's not it's less than a decade ago. The Ireland coach had to present his his game plan to the committee on the eve of a game, like you know that's where we're coming from. And uh, you know there was progress made in the last decade, but there's a lot more progress to be done in terms of modernising and, and and making it more fit, fit for purpose in the, whatever century we're in at the moment. Yeah, well, even over the course of the year, it'll be really interesting to see what movement there are on some of those issues that you guys have outlined. But for now, Luke Rudd, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, us. That's all we have time for on the left wing this week. We'll be back next week with another show. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.